Well, hello, friends, and a special welcome if you're joining us for the first time. Also have to acknowledge a few groups of people with us this morning. First of all, Michigan State fans, where are you at? Okay. And then we have, of course, the Michigan fans. Where are my people? All right. And I got to give credit where credit's to Ohio State fans. You got any of those people here? No. <laughs> well done, Michigan fans. All right. I also, I just was going to say, all, there are a few of us from each group that are here because at one point or another in yesterday's game, we prayed and said, God, if you turn this thing around, I'm going to church. And so if that's you, we're so glad you're here. And also a shout out to the Central Michigan folk. Where are you at? I mean, you fought valiantly and let the Michigan State fans pray. So well done there. I mean, it's a good day. So anyway, we're in week two of a series called The Opportunity of Pain. And in the series, we're exploring... A really great question. We'll put it up on the screens. It goes like this. Um, what does faith look like when life falls apart? What does faith look like when life falls apart? Because maybe you've noticed, eventually for all of us, life falls apart in all sorts of different ways. And when it does, it raises all kinds of questions. I was just thinking back over, you know, journeying with friends over the past couple of years, and I thought about a friend who had a baby. After a long wait to have a baby, they finally had a baby. She said it was the greatest moment of her life. Uh, but then after that, she crashed into something called postpartum depression. And some of you have, have experienced this. And it was just like she entered into this valley. And when we had a conversation, she said, you know, I, I kind of, I know why I'm in the valley, but I just, I don't know how to get out of the valley and I'm trying some different things, but it's just, it feels like life is falling apart and I'm asking questions about God that I've never asked before. I think of another friend uh, who graduated a couple springs ago from law school and applied for jobs everywhere. Uh, and when we intersected, we had coffee at Starbucks because he was working at Starbucks. And uh, he said, you know, I am so discouraged I have all of this debt. I've done all of this work. I did everything I'm supposed to do. And I just, I just don't know where to go next. I send out resumes and I get these wonderful, polite, thank, no thank you emails. He goes, they're not even spending the dime on the piece of paper. You know what I mean? Uh, and he said, I just, I just don't know what to do. And, and he says, I'm asking questions about God that I've never asked before. Or I think of a final friend you know, who is wrestling with grief. And grief is that thing that surfaces when there's this sense that something that should be there, that maybe was there, is no longer there. And he talked about going over to dinner at his mom's house, and there'd always been six chairs around the table, and now there were only five. And it's disorienting, and it's confusing. And, and the reason he contacted me was he said, I'm asking questions about faith and God that I've never asked before. It just, it shouldn't be this way. So what, what do we do when we don't know what to do, and, and what does faith look like when life falls apart? That's our question for these three weeks. And we're framing our exploration of this question with Psalm 139 in the Old Testament of your Bible. And the Psalms are songs. They're ancient poems from thousands of years ago. If you ever want to find the Psalms for yourself, open your Bible right in the middle, and you're probably going to land in the Psalms. And this particular Psalm, number 139, was written 3,000 years ago by a king named David. And you've probably heard of David. Uh, a couple things about David we mentioned last week. He was a humble shepherd. He was a giant slayer, as in David and Goliath David. He was a gifted poet. He was a mighty warrior. He was a legendary king. But you also know, if you've read anything about his life, you know that David was a complicated man. 
He was far from perfect, deeply broken. But nonetheless, the Bible describes him as a man after God's own heart. And what basically happened is whenever life fell apart, David never stopped aligning his heart with God's heart. And what that means for us thousands of years later is that when David talks about the character and faithfulness of God, we need to lean in and listen because David had experienced it firsthand. Uh, last week, we discovered that Psalm 139 really is a song for the trenches of life. It's, it's a song written by somebody who's broken for other people who are broken. We'll never know the actual circumstances in which David composed this song, but most of the Bible nerds that I checked out believe it was composed in the midst of a battle, and it was a battle that David was losing. So it's a song for the defeated, by the defeated. And if you're here this morning and that's you, uh, this is for you. Uh, because of that reality, David's psalm gives us a window into what faith in God looks like when life falls apart. And last week, our big idea, I want to start there and we'll build off that. But last week, we saw David's words illustrate when life falls apart, faith becomes an intentional decision to continue placing your trust in God. When life falls apart, faith becomes an intentional decision to continue to place your faith in God. It has nothing to do with how you feel about God in that moment, and that's a really good thing uh, because you probably feel some pretty negative, frustrating things about God. But when David is struggling with despair, he intentionally chooses to keep trusting God. And the question I want to chase down with our time together today is simply this, how? How does David find the courage to trust God when it seems like God isn't particularly trustworthy? And what I want to argue is that for all his faults, David really was wise because he was aware of something that we're not always aware of. David knew in the midst of suffering, he really fundamentally only had two options. When life falls apart, you fundamentally have two options, and it goes like this, hope or despair. Hope or despair. And despair, though the natural option when life falls apart, really wasn't and isn't the best option. David could either continue to place his trust in God and hold on to hope, or he could begin to believe that God had abandoned him and embraced despair. And David chose hope. Hope that God was up to something good in his life through his pain. And again, that was an intentional choice he made. And a lot of things have changed in the thousands of years since David lived, but we still only have the same two options when life falls apart. Let, let me explain what I mean by despair. A despair is the thing that's born when something painful happens and we wonder why God didn't prevent it. We think, I really haven't been that bad a human, certainly not as bad as others. And so God, where are you right now? And in those times, we feel abandoned by God and despair takes hold. Now, it consumes us when we take that sense that God has abandoned us and declare it to be true. And maybe you've, maybe you've had this moment in your life. We think things like, okay, bad things happen to good people because God is bad. Or, or, or maybe bad things happen to good people because God is weak. He was never really able to keep the bad thing from happening in the first place. Or, or maybe, maybe bad things happen to good people because God just isn't really that interested in me. Or, or maybe you've pushed it all the way to, you know, bad things happen to good people because, I mean, come on, God doesn't exist in the first place, because if he did, I would never be experiencing what I'm experiencing. And so in pain, we align ourselves with those sorts of beliefs, and despair takes over. 
When that happens, the results are devastating. We're left to believe we're out here on our own and, and survival instincts kick in and our, our only other option really is to put our faith and our trust in ourselves. If I, if I can't trust God, then I gotta try to control as much as possible. And so this plays out in a whole bunch of different ways. For some, it's like, I'm gonna work really hard. I'm gonna try to get as much money as possible to control as much as possible. I'm gonna put my hope, my faith, my trust in my ability to control my circumstances and my environment. Other people would say, okay, um, I can't trust anybody. If I can't trust God, I can't trust anybody. So I'm gonna pull inside, I'm gonna insulate myself, and I'm just gonna be consumed by loneliness. I mean, despair can play out in countless ways, but it always ends up in the same place. Eventually, we realize we aren't a strong enough place to place our trust. We simply aren't strong enough to hold ourselves together. And if we can't trust ourselves and we can't trust God, then what we're left with is hopelessness. In fact, the dictionary definition of despair goes like this, a complete loss or absence of hope. But, but, but on the flip side, that's also why hope is the remedy for despair. Hope and despair are incompatible roommates in the human heart. When you lean into the one, it pushes out the other. And some of you right now are thinking about your incompatible roommate from college, aren't you? Right? It's kind of like the two cannot coexist in the heart. The one will always push out the other. And by hope, I mean a biblical hope. A biblical hope goes like this. A hope is an expectant trust in God. We fully expect that God will be faithful. We fully expect that he's going to come through, even though we don't feel it in the moment, it's an expectant trust. It's different than the way we typically think of hope, right? Some of us are thinking, I hope I get an iPhone 10s for Christmas, right? That's I hope. And, and, and then if you're like me, you're like 10s. That's like tennis. That's an awful name for an iPhone. But they didn't have me on the committee, so they did it anyway, right? Yeah. But, but when we say, I hope I get an iPhone 10s for Christmas, what we're thinking about is, man, I wish I, I, wish I could get one. That's not that's not an expected trust. Biblical hope is different than that. Biblical hope is confidence. Biblical hope is confidence that despite our circumstances, we expect God will come through. Perhaps not how we would like, perhaps not when we would like, but eventually, in his time, in his way, God will come through for us. He is faithful. All that to say, when life falls apart, you have two options. Despair or hope. And despair happens when we embrace the feeling of being abandoned by God. Hope happens when we declare God is true to his promises despite what we feel. And the second option, choosing hope, is precisely what David does in Psalm 139. He fights off despair by declaring hope. In the middle of the psalm, David declares something absolutely astonishing for somebody who's in a spot where they feel like God has abandoned them. David declares this, that God cares about him. And we talked about this a bit last week, but David doesn't just say God cares about him. God, he actually backs it up with logic. He says that God cares for him. In fact, God cares for all of us because he created us. He says it this way in the Psalm. He says, for you, God, created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. He says, my frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. 
And just notice with me, David doesn't say, you know, God created Adam and Eve and kind of got the ball rolling, but the rest of us were created by our parents who one night lit a candle and put on a Marvin Gaye record. Oh, that's just awkward to think about, isn't it? My mom is listening right now online. I didn't make that joke. It's okay. Just back that, take that out of the podcast. Anyway, um, but the idea is that David is saying God created each of us individually, right? He displayed his power by designing and creating specifically you and bringing you into being. You were created on purpose for a purpose. And that's a pretty amazing idea to consider. Because if that's true, it means you are not an accident and you are not a mistake. If that's true, that means that the world would not be better off without you, even if there are times that you think it might be. It's almost like God thought it would be better for the world to have a you, and so the day came when he said, let there be you. You were made on purpose. You were made for a purpose. So question, how, how does this idea help David fend off despair? Well, David argues, if we were created individually, then the creator cares about us individually. Because whenever a creator creates something, they care about their creation. And I was thinking about it this week, and the closest parallel I could come up with to this is parenting. And I have four boys, and you guys, most of you know that, but here's a picture of them on the first day of school. I know, overwhelming cuteness. Don't let them fool you. Um, but I, despite the challenges of parenting, I really like my kids, right? I care deeply for my kids. In fact, if I'm honest, I care about my kids more than I care about your kids, just being honest, right? Because they're my kids, I have this deep emotional connection to them, so much so that sometimes I feel what they feel. Parents, do you know what I'm talking about? Like that Christmas morning, you feel joy in your heart when they open their presents, or you feel pride in their heart the day they take their first steps, or you suffer in your heart where your kid is bullied, and then you want to make the bully suffer by running over them with your minivan. I'm just saying, right? Just being honest. Very Jesus-y move there. Yeah. But when our kids hurt, we hurt with them because they're our kids. And I think this is the heart of what David is saying. He's saying if God made us, then he hurts when we hurt. And some of you have an objection to this right now, and it's fair. That sounds good, but you're saying, okay, if God cares about me, then why does he allow me to suffer in the first place? And David touches on this as he continues, but it's a tricky verse, so just fair warning. Here's what he says. David writes, all the days ordained for me, and we'll come back to that in a minute, were written in your book before one of them came to be. What David is saying here is that God has ordained his days. He's saying that God has a plan for each moment of your life. And he's decided to walk with you through each moment of your life, feeling joy when you feel joy and feeling sorrow when you feel sorrow. He's strong enough to support you and he's, he's confident enough and vulnerable enough to suffer with you. In other words, God just doesn't have a plan for the world or even just your life, but God has a plan for your today. Whether it's a good day or a bad day, he has a plan and he always has. Every moment of your life has been ordained by God himself. And, and I realize this hits you a couple different ways depending on where you are in your story. But it, I mean, if you're on the other side of suffering, you can see the hope in this truth. You look back and think, yeah, God did have a plan. Even through that mess, it was awful, but, but I could see that there was something going on behind the scenes. But it's also true that if you're here and you're in, midst, in the midst of suffering this morning, the idea that nothing happens by mistake doesn't bring comfort, does it? Because the idea, that idea challenges um, 
is challenging because, okay, it isn't that God has turned his back on you. It's, it's like he is aware of what's going on and he allows it. And that brings confusion and frustration and anger and questions. For some reason, God didn't choose to take the pain away. He ordained it. He allowed it to happen and he chose to suffer with you. And for some reason, um, he, you know, he didn't take away the pain. And that doesn't really make us feel better when we're in the midst of the mess. But I think what David is telling us is that if you're able to push through that anger, there really is hope in this truth. Not happiness, but hope. You say, well, well how is that possible? Notice with me what David does not do in the midst of suffering. David does not approach God and ask him to help him feel happy about his suffering. That wouldn't be possible. We've all walked through things that we're still not happy about. Uh, plus, God never asks you to feel happy about your suffering or to get over it. David also doesn't ask for the reasons for the suffering or the explanations. He doesn't ask for the plan. In suffering, we tend to think we want to know why, but no answer and no explanation will make you feel better if you're truly suffering. Uh, to be clear, suffering isn't God's will, but when ordaining your days, uh, he was, he, or, I'm sorry, when ordaining your days, he, was, he wasn't sure to add that awful season of pain. God doesn't make sinful things happen in your life. He doesn't want you to suffer, but it is his will as we walk through a life full of the consequences of sin to leverage your suffering. And what this means is, and this is where we get to the title for the series, he doesn't want to waste the opportunity of pain to shape you and grow you up to be more the person he made you to be. And if you think about that for a second, and if you're honest, there are things that you've learned in pain that you really couldn't learn any other way. I don't like that, but, it, but it's been true for my life, and I believe it's true for all of us. In fact, this idea surfaces in a New Testament letter written by a pastor named Paul to some Christians living in Rome. And when he wrote to these Christians in Rome, life was challenging for these Christians in Rome. They had placed their faith in Jesus, and it had cost them in all sorts of ways uh, socially, and they were being attacked. Here's what Paul writes. He says to them, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who've been called according to his purpose. And all things there includes the painful things and the tough things and the awful things in life. And even that, know that even if you choose to put your hope in that promise, it doesn't make your suffering easier to handle, and it shouldn't. But Paul is saying, listen, behind the scenes of your pain and of your life, God is at work. You have not been abandoned. And Jesus is the perfect example of this. Jesus suffered on the cross so that we could be family with God again. And even though Jesus knew the purpose of his suffering, which we don't always know ours, it didn't make it easier. When you read the accounts of Jesus' life, on the night he was betrayed, he's in a garden called Gethsemane, and everything is about to come crashing down. He's got the weight of the world on his shoulders. He opens up to his friends. Here's what Jesus says. He says, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. And notice with me, Jesus does not say, I know what God is going to accomplish through me, and I'm excited to walk this path. He's overwhelmed. And so he goes off and he prays. And check out what he prays. He says, my father, if it's possible, may this cup be taken from me. And I don't want to do this. And then he says, yet not as I will, but as you will. So Jesus prays an honest prayer and asks God for another way to accomplish this mission. He doesn't want to suffer. And yet he still chooses to trust God. Not that God wanted Jesus to suffer, 
but that God was about to leverage the suffering of Jesus for good. So Jesus trusts that it's God's will to bring life out of his death. He's a God who's in the business of resurrection. And he trusts that God will take all things and leverage it somehow for his good or for the good of people everywhere. And so what David and what Jesus found in these promises that God cares for us, created us, suffers with us, and has ordained every moment of our lives, they found hope. Which brings us to our big idea for this morning. It goes like this. Hope is the only foundation strong enough to keep us standing through suffering. Hope is the only promise strong enough to keep us standing through suffering. Despair is not a foundation on which we can stand. With despair, we're on our own. There's no one else for you to trust in. Moreover, it's impossible to find a purpose for your suffering because there's nobody more powerful than you who can leverage your suffering. You're left to try to leverage your suffering for your own good, but you can't. If you could, you probably wouldn't be suffering anymore. There's no foundation in despair. It's quicksand. You'll sink and you'll die there. But see, with hope, we have a foundation strong enough to stand on. And David knew only with that foundation can we get up and march into battle again tomorrow. Only with that foundation um, can we get back up and get back into the battles of life. Now, I, I realize Um, that this is a difficult truth, that God leverages your suffering for good. It's difficult, but it's also transformational. And it can make a huge difference in your life and in your faith. It makes a huge difference about the person you become as you exit this season of suffering. Is your faith and confidence in God built, or do you find yourself increasingly cynical and removed and alone. Only this truth that, that God leverages your suffering for good can transform despair into hope when life falls apart. Hope in God's promises that he knows everything, that he is everywhere, that he cares about people and he cares about you, and that even in your darkest hour, he's working for good. In the end, we're all invited to choose hope. Hope that what God says about us is true. And that choice changes everything. As we wind down today, we're going to enjoy a song together. So I'm going to invite the band to come out. Um, And just give you a moment, especially if you're here this morning and you came here looking for hope and you're feeling like somebody's reading your emails because you can't believe this is what we're talking about. But if that's you, we just wanted to give you a moment to just reflect on this invitation to choose hope and also to be reminded about what God says about you. So the band has prepared a song called You Say, speaking about how God feels about each of us. And I just invite you to let these words wash over you. Maybe take a moment and open your hands and just say to God, I I, I guess this is my only good choice, even though it doesn't feel like it's even possible. But would you just meet me here and remind me? So let's enjoy this song together, and then I'll close this in prayer.